Well, good morning, folks. Hey, glad you all are here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you grab them at this point in time, and uh, you can turn with me uh, to the book of Psalms. We will be uh, in selected verses this morning, uh, but quite a few of them will come from the book of Psalms, particularly Psalm 119. Again, selected verses, but it's always good to have our Bibles open to Psalm 119 this morning. Well, we are continuing on in part three of our fall sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, training ourselves for spiritual growth, training ourselves to be spiritually fit, if you will. We are continuing to talk about the spiritual disciplines that relate to the Word, that relate to the Bible, that relate to hearing God's voice, if you will. I trust that you're there in Psalm 119 or close to it. Let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, be with us this morning as your word is preached and proclaimed, as it is listened to and digested by your people. Father, may your word come in power this morning through uh, the agency of your spirit to make much of your son Jesus, and that, Father, you would be honored in all that we do. Father, we want to grow spiritually. We want to be different men and women, boys and girls, uh, teenagers, teenagers, tomorrow than we are today, and a year from now than we are from right now, because we have uh, begun or are in the process of training ourselves to be spiritually fit, cooperating with your transforming grace in the many avenues that you've shown us through your word, our means of grace, that we might be transformed by the renewing of, uh, of our minds, that we might become more in the image of your Son. And so, Father, help us. May uh, this sermon and the reading and hearing and doing of your word be a means towards that. Uh, to be a means towards that end, we ask it in the name of Jesus, our God, our Savior, our King, and our Lord. And God's people together said, "Amen, Amen." Well, here's how we're going to begin this morning with a little audience participation. So, I need for you to participate, okay? It's going to be very easy, nothing embarrassing. What we're going to do is take a simple poll, a very simple poll. And here is the question on the docket for this morning as we begin on our sermon series in the spiritual disciplines. It's very easy. We are going to take a poll to determine which type of M&Ms we like the best. Okay, very easy, right? Very easy. Which type of M&M do you like the best? Now, I realize that there are a whole host of types of M&M's. So I have limited it just to four. I went on the M&M's website, and there are like ten different types of M&M's. Who knew? Four we're going to limit it to this morning. So just so you know, we are going to ask if you like regular M&M's, if you like peanut M&M's, if you like almond M&M's, or if you like crispy M&M's. I've never had crispy M&M's, so I'll have to go buy some. Okay, are we ready? Uh, A very easy show of hands, okay? Not embarrassing, very simple. Who likes regular M&M's the best? Raise your hands. Okay, so you guys are just plain Jane, normal, good old, uh, very good, very good. Regular M&M's. Okay, how about the next one? Peanut M&M's. I'll raise my, oh my goodness gracious, look at that. I'm in peanut M&M's. Okay, how about almond M&M's? Oh, we got, oh, that's, that's a good representation. All my, all, who knew? All my, okay. Anybody, any crispy lovers out there? Crispy? There are crispy lovers. Very good. Well, thank you all for, for participating. We all know now who likes what. And so as we're thinking about gifts and Christmas and all that, you know what type of M&Ms. And if you're thinking about your pastor for Pastor Appreciation Month, peanut M&Ms, folks. Okay, peanut. 
Okay, so we've taken a little poll as to what type of uh, candy M&Ms we like the best. If I were to take another type of poll this morning, another type of poll, this time a poll on the spiritual disciplines that people like the most. If I were to ask you, what are your favorite spiritual disciplines? I wonder if anyone would vote for the M&Ms that we are going to be talking about this morning. The dual spiritual exercises of meditation and memorization. Did you get it? M and M. Memorization and meditation. Oh yeah, it's going off. Thank you. Thank you. Meditation and memorization. I wonder if we took a poll, if anybody would vote for that variety of M&Ms. Today we're going to be talking about two of maybe the least practiced spiritual disciplines in the Christian church, much to our own detriment. So let's begin with the first of the two twin M&Ms, the M of meditation, of biblical meditation. Foster, in his much-referenced book, Celebration of Discipline, writes this. In contemporary society... Our adversary, of course referring to the devil, majors in three things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Noise, hurry, and crowds. He writes, if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Friends, I wonder if the enemy is at work in your life using noise, hurry, and crowds to keep you away from your God. I wonder what kind of impact the devil might be having in our spiritual life through muchness and manyness. Because many of us today are so engaged in the muchness, in the manyness, in the noise, in the hurry, in the crowds of life that we have lost or maybe never even found the immense spiritual benefit of the spiritual exercise of meditation. Yet Mathis, in his book, Habits of Grace, calls meditation, quote, perhaps the most misunderstood and most underrated of the spiritual disciplines in the church today. So three questions to help navigate our study on what biblical meditation is. Number one, what is meditation? We will define it. Number two, what are some misconceptions of it? And number three, what are the methods of it? Let's define it. Let's talk about some misconceptions of it. And then we'll talk about how to practice it. Okay? Let's begin with question number one. What is meditation? What are we talking about when we're talking about the first of our two M&Ms today? Meditation. Well, I'd like to begin by taking a look at the words that the Bible uses to describe meditation. Uh, both of them are found in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, in, as far as I could tell, um, the word meditate is not found in the New Testament, but it's found all in the Old Testament. Seventeen times the Bible uses uh, two words, really, in Hebrew that are translated to meditate or meditation. Let's take a look at the first. The first is the Hebrew word sayak. It's kind of fun to say. Sayak, which means to ponder over something. 
It means to go over a matter in one's mind, to think about it over and over again in your mind, or even to converse with yourself out loud, to talk about a matter out loud. So have you ever found yourself doing that? Do you ever talk to yourself Maybe internally in your mind or even out loud you find yourself doing something and you just begin to talk to yourself. You're thinking over a matter and so you, you talk about it out loud. You know, it's not uncommon for me to come home uh, from work and, and Shelly might be working at her desk or maybe in the evening she's, she's working and uh, she's doing accounting work for the seminary and uh, she, she, she says something. Maybe I'm in that room or in the kitchen and I said, you say something, honey? And she, she would say something like, no, I'm just, I'm just talking to myself, right? I'm just going over the matter in my mind. If you've ever done that before, if you've ever found yourself kind of mulling over a matter, talking it over in your mind, then you have meditated. That's what this word means, to mull over a matter in one's mind. We see this used uh, many times in the scripture. Here's one reference, Psalm 119, verse 148. Psalm 119, verse 148, where the psalmist says that he can't wait to go to work at night. He can't wait to go on the night shift so that he can sayak on God's word. He says, my eyes anticipate the night watches. Why? Why would he anticipate the night watches? That I might meditate, sayak on your word. So he can't wait to go to work at night, because at night, apparently, his job allowed him to meditate, to talk to himself about the word of God. Apparently, he also did it during the day. Because if you take a look at what he says in verse 97, he says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. So the psalmist says, I meditate, I chew on God's word in the night and in the day. Sayak. But there's another related Hebrew word, and it's the Hebrew word haga. And if you say it, you've got to give it a little haga. And it means to imagine, to imagine. It's really the idea of being deep in thought or lost in your own thoughts. Kind of, kind of the idea of daydreaming, right? Um, have you ever been so deep in thought, concentrating on a matter that you maybe space out a little bit so that when somebody approaches you, they, they say something to you, it's like you don't even hear them, right? You're in, you're in your own little world. You're thinking about something and, and the person's tapping you on the shoulder, right? Hey, 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 I'm going to talk to you. That's what this word means, right? To, to meditate, to haga something. It happens often when my kids, they're watching TV or they're playing or they're, do something, they're doing something and I say, hey, Piper, hey, Asher, hey, and they just ignore me. I'm like, hey, Piper, hey, Asher. Apparently they're concentrating. They're, they're being biblical. They're meditating on things, right? That's what this word means. So what then does it mean to meditate? What, what does it mean to meditate? It simply means, it's not complicated, it simply means thinking long and deep about God and his word. That's what it means to meditate. Frederick Faber explains it with a simple poem. He says, only to sit and think of God, oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. Well, Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, offers us a more, maybe formal, definition. I think it's helpful. He says, meditation is this. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture. 
It's deep thinking on that which is true and the spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of, number one, understanding. Of, number two, application. And, number three, prayer. Thinking deeply on the truth of the the Word of God and the realities that surround that truth so that we can understand God's Word, so that we can apply it in our lives, so that we can feed into prayer. And what Whitney affirms here is, is I think, obvious. It's that meditation is related to the other spiritual disciplines, right? None of these spiritual disciplines stand alone. They're all connected in some way, shape, or form. So meditation is a part of Bible study when we're going deep in the Word. It's a part of application because we're pondering what that verse or that paragraph means in in my life and in your life. And it often is the open door that leads us into prayer. In fact, we can see meditation as sort of the missing link between the exercises related to the Bible, hearing God's word, and hearing his voice, and, and those related to prayer, right? Having his ear. In fact, the 15th century Puritan Thomas Manton uses kind of vivid imagery, the idea of digestion of food to make this connection. Notice what he says. He says, the word, of course the Bible, the word feedeth meditation, and meditation feedeth prayer. He goes on to say, meditation must follow hearing, and it must precede prayer. He says, what we take in by the word, we digest by meditation, and we let out by prayer sort of vivid imagery to connect these dots for us, right? Hearing and reading and studying God's Word and then meditating, ruminating on it and then allowing it to lead us into a prayer time with God, responding to His Word in prayer, which we'll get to next week. So what is biblical meditation? What is it like? It's kind of like pulling up to a nice warm fire on a cold winter's day. Or maybe a nice fall day, if that suits you better. Pulling up to a nice warm fire to to warm yourself. If you do that, if you warm yourself by a fire, you have to stay there long enough to get warm, right? You kind of have to linger over it. You can't just step towards it and, and, and take a few seconds and then step away. You have to linger over it to get warm. In a similar way, meditation is simply lingering by the fire of the Word of God. It's lingering by the fire of God's Word long enough for the heat to warm your spiritual bones and to fill your soul. That's what Thomas Watson says. He says this, The reason we come away so cold from the reading of the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. So friends, let me ask you, have you walked away from your time in the word lately feeling a bit cold, feeling a bit spiritually chilly? Maybe it's because you're not lingering over the fire long enough. Maybe it's because you're not uh, allowing the, the heat from the, the, the word as we meditate on it to sink into your spiritual bones. So that's what meditation is. What are some common misconceptions, secondly, about meditation? I think Foster, again, in his book, gives us three helpful misconceptions. And the first is probably the most common. He suggests that the first misconception is that it's an attempt to empty the mind. So when we hear of the idea of meditation, we often think of Eastern 
religion, meditation. Friends, lest we think that meditation is, is, is only a part of false Eastern religions, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who lived under Hitler's tyranny in Germany, when asked why he meditated, said this. It's because I'm a Christian. He said, it's because I'm a Christian. See, meditation is not Eastern. It's a Christian thing. When we first think of meditation, we may wrongly conjure up images like the one behind me, Eastern images of certain positions or, 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 or certain uh, uh, kind of uh, quietness, if you will. But that's not at all what Christian meditation is about. Christian meditation is fundamentally different because it's not about emptying the mind like Eastern meditation is. It's not about reaching a state of otherness. It's not about detaching oneself from reality. That's Eastern meditation, but Christian meditation. Christian meditation is about filling our minds with biblical truths and the reality of God. It's a a detachment of sorts. We want to detach ourselves from noise and from hurry, and from distraction, yes, but our aim is attachment, attaching our hearts and our minds to God through his word. Another objection that you may be thinking is, Trey, it's just too difficult. Meditation is just too difficult, right? I have ADD. I can't focus for that long. You may think it's for the spiritual giant. It's too complex. It's mystical. I can't practice that. That is simply not true. Christian meditation is for all. And when we learn that it's just thinking for a moment out loud or in our minds, it's it's simply getting lost in thought over God and his word. It can become so natural, just like breathing over time and with practice. It's not for the spiritual elites. It's not for the Christian mystics. It's for you and it's for me. Third, Another objection is that it is impractical. It just doesn't make sense. I'm too busy. I have too many real things to do to just sit there and to to ponder. It's too impractical. See, there may be a fear that meditation would lead to a sort of detachment from reality, an unhealthy other worldliness that might immunize us to the, the suffering and the pain in our own life or in the life of others. And friends, this is simply not true as well. William Penn says this, and he's right. True godliness does not turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better in it. See, meditation will make you a better Christian. It will make you uh, a a better Christian living in the world. So many real-life applications that the Spirit will give to us about our marriage, about our kids, about work, about situation, about sin, about holiness comes when we take the time to ponder the Word of God. That's when life change happens. So, Christians, uh, meditation is for you. It's Christian, it's doable, and it's immensely practical. So what does it look like? What are some methods for Christian meditation? Well, as with Bible study and Bible application, which we talked about last week, um, there are limitless ways, really, to stop and to soak our minds in the Scriptures. There's no cookie-cutter method here. So I just want to make some suggestions for you to begin this practice of Christian biblical meditation. Again, Foster suggests that we can meditate on two things. First and foremost, the object of our meditation is the Word of God. Secondarily, he says, we can meditate on creation. The Word of God and on creation. Let's, Let's begin by thinking about 
the biblical use of the word, meditating on the word of God. As we said last week with Bible study, meditation can be on a, a section of scripture. It can be on a verse of scripture. It can even be on a word of scripture, a single word. It can We can take a single event, a single passage, a single verse. We can allow as much of Scripture or as little of Scripture to soak into our bones, to to ruminate in our minds. And not only that, but there's a place for holy imagination, right? We imagine the the scenario, if, if, if it's a story, and we can put ourselves, if you will, in the shoes of the biblical characters. We can place ourselves there. What was it like for the woman at the well to meet Jesus? What was it like for the demoniac to, to be set free from demonic oppression, right? What was it like to be there as one of the, of the disciples as Jesus was praying the night uh, before he was betrayed and, and, and to struggle to stay awake as he's laboring in prayer? We place ourselves in the story. There's a place for biblical imagination as well. We can ask questions. That is a part of meditation. You come to a, a part of scripture and you say, what does he mean by that? Why did he say that? What, is it, what does it look like for me? We can ask questions, right? We can jot down observations. All of this is a part of what it means to biblically meditate. So in a sense, meditation in the Bible is much like eating at uh, Outback Steakhouse. You like going there? I like going there. Uh, meditation is, is, is kind of like that. No rules, just right, right? No rules, just right. As long as we are chewing on the word, we're being nourished by it. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you about a four-minute video. I wanted to, to, to kind of show you what, what could this look like practically as you open up your Bible and you come to Matthew chapter 6 and you see the words of Christ about worry, a very tremendously practical passage, and you say, I worry a lot. What does it look like to meditate on this? Well, well, Pastor John Piper on his website, DesiringGod.org, has a series of videos which he entitles, Look at the Book. Look at the Book. Several videos that I think is a really good illustration of what this could look like when you come to Matthew chapter 6. So guys, let's run that. Thanks. So what I'm going to do is read through this passage just once, and as I go slowly, I'm going to be looking for the main point and all the arguments that support it. Now, those are two big assumptions, namely that it has a main point, and we should even think that way about a paragraph, a main point, and that it argues. So don't take me for granted. Don't take that for granted. Uh, Test as we go to see whether, in fact, That's the right way to think about this paragraph. So here we go. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The reason I circled that is because this, therefore, means this is an argument. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about what you sh- about your life, what you should eat, or what you should drink, or about your body, what you shall put on. So, there is a statement of uh, command: don't be anxious. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? What is that? That's another argument. Since life 
is more than food, and the body is more than clothing, then don't be anxious about your life. And don't be anxious about your body. That's the way the argument runs. We don't understand it yet. At least I don't yet. (laughs) Uh, It's not obvious, but it's clear that somehow he's arguing. He's supporting. Here comes another one. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet I tell you, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? That unit about the birds is an argument. If God treats the birds this way, he'll treat you a certain way. So don't be anxious. Here comes another one. And which of you, by being anxious... Now, there's that reference to anxiety. Which of you, by being anxious... So now we've seen it here, and we've seen it here. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a, a single hour to his span of life. That's pretty clear. There's an argument. It doesn't do you any good to be anxious. Jesus is arguing. So keep going. And why are you anxious about clothing? So there, there's, the, there's the main point again. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Okay, here comes another argument. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so there is another, oops, another argument from the, the lilies. Therefore, he says, don't be anxious. Here it is again. I think that's the third time. Saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For, here comes another argument. For the Gentiles seek all these things. That's an argument. You don't be like the Gentiles. They seek all these things. Don't you be anxious like them. And here comes another one. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's another argument, a promise. All these things will be added to you. So don't be anxious. Therefore, makes it clear, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for, for, there it is again, for. So there's another argument. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, let's go backwards and and number them and tabulate what we've got here. So, um, how many arguments so far? One, two, three, four, five. And how many statements of the main point? One, two, don't be anxious. Three, don't be anxious. Four, five, five statements of what I think is the main point. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Oops, and how many, how many, five? We're at five arguments. Now, let's see how many there are here. Six, seven, eight, nine. That's right. That's what I had counted. So nine 
arguments. So that just gives you a little taste. Here's, here's uh, my suggestion. Start off with his. Go to his website. Check it out. You can, he has a ton of these videos. What you'll do is just by watching them, you will train your mind to meditate with the help of others. Here's another suggestion. Uh, buy some uh, markers or some colors or some highlighters and write on your Bible. Write it up. Make notes. Jot down questions. Connect the dots, right? Mark it up. It is a way in which we meditate on the Scriptures. So, we've seen the first M&M. Let's close with the second, briefly. That of memorization. Memorization. Bible memorization. I don't know about you, but I'll be honest. Uh, I have negative connotations and feelings that are conjured up inside my heart when the word memorization comes to mind. I don't know about you, but, but I do. I think of immediately trying to cram information into my head for short-term memory so that I can spit it out only to pass an exam so that the, the very next hour I forget what I crammed into my head. I don't know about you, but when I think of memorizing something, that's what I think of. Um, when we consider the spiritual exercise of Scripture memorization, let's throw that out the window. Can we just forget about that? Can we set that aside? Because Bible memorization... It's not about cramming information into our head as quickly as we possibly can in one ear so that it goes out the other ear momentarily. It's about slowly, methodically, over time, as Romans 12.2 tells us, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That by testing, we may discern what the will of God is. You could say that Bible memorization's aim is the memorization of the mind of God. Because when we memorize the Bible, what are we memorizing? The very inspired Word of God, right? When we memorize the Scripture, we are memorizing God's own mind, in a sense. So while we should memorize to hide away or to treasure God's Word in our heart so that we may not, what? sin against him, right? Psalm 119.11 tells us that. While we should do that, we should memorize scripture so that when temptation comes, we are biblically ready. Yes, that is a part of Bible memorization. But also, Bible memorization is just as much about molding our mind today. Molding our mind today as it is preparing our will for tomorrow. That is, it has tremendous implications, not just for the future, but for the present. Practically speaking, it's really just an extension of Bible study and of Bible meditation. Mathis makes this connection. He says, making meditation work in tandem with Scripture memory has tremendous bearing on how we go about the arduous task of memorizing. For one, he says, it makes us slow down. We can memorize things much faster if we don't pause to grasp and ponder. But mere memorization does us little good. Memorization, meditation, excuse me, does us much good. When we take meditation seriously, we seek not only to understand what we are memorizing, but also to linger over it, to feel it, and even, uh, being, and even being to apply it as we memorize. So what are some ways that you can go about, practically speaking, starting to memorize the mind of God? Well, Mathis, in his book, Habits of Grace, gives four pointers. 
and we'll close with those. The first, he says, diversify your picks. Diversify your picks. So what he means is that uh, do short verses and do long verses. You can do sections. You can do entire books, if you will. I would start with a short one, like the book of Jude. But you can do short. You can do long. You can memorize scriptures from the epistles. You can memorize scripture from the Psalms. You can memorize scriptures from the Old Testament. You can do it from apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. So diversify your picks. It's kind of like a financial portfolio, right? Diversify what you're sticking in your mind. Second, take it with you. This, I think, is a very practical way that you can memorize the mind of God. So while um, we should devote time to peruse and to memorize and to to chew on God's word, to, to intentionally memorize it, we can also do it throughout the day, right? So stick it on a note card, Put it uh, in, your, uh, in your car, right? Put it at your desktop. Put it in key places on your mirror where you know that you're going to be by it. Put it on your smartphone so that when you open it up, there it is, right? So it's this by rote exposure. You're taking it in. Take it with you. Number three, we've just touched on this. Don't just memorize, but understand. Because when we just memorize something, we don't understand it, then it does us no good whatsoever, right? We need to resist the urge to simply just say, okay, I've got to memorize this verse, so let me just blah, 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 blah. Okay, I can say it again. Okay, I'm done. We should resist that urge. We should seek to understand. Don't just learn it by heart. Take it to heart, right? Don't memorize mindlessly. Number four, turn it into prayer. I think a very practical way we can shift from a Bible to prayer is we're, we're, we're looking at the verse, we're reading it, we're thinking about it, and that can prompt us to pray based upon the truth that we see in that passage. And number five, memorize, always memorize in light of the gospel. So we must keep Jesus and relating to him central, right? What are the spiritual disciplines for? They are about changing us, but not only do we want to be changed to be like Jesus, we want to know Jesus through them, right? So we have to always keep that in mind. Our greatest need in memorization and in any spiritual discipline is to turn to the Lord relationally through it so that we might know him and delight in him and enjoy him and glorify him. So with that in mind, take a look on the table outside. I've provided lots of different scripture memory sheets for you to pick up. Pick one up that you think is most helpful and get started soaking it in. So, if I were to take a poll and ask you what your favorite M&M is, spiritually speaking, would these disciplines show up? Are they on your radar at all? Or would nobody vote for them? My prayer and my hope is that we would begin these two twin M&M spiritual disciplines. That of meditation upon the word and memorization of the word. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand. Right now, stand. And we are going to read together Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, reminding ourselves of the blessing that can come to us through memorization and through meditation. So let's take a look at Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Read it together with me, if you will. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, 
and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. May that be us, church, because we meditate and memorize the mind of God.